So we wanted to have a quick chat with Dr. Giles Warrington. He's head of the Department of Sport and Exercise Physiology in the University of Limerick. And he has been researching sleep science over the years. Uh, is on the line now. Good morning and a happy new year to you, Giles. Good morning, Joe. Many happy returns. So... I, I'm experiencing this. I suspect lots of people are as well, you know, had uh, a decent enough time over Christmas, um, COVID allowing and all of that. Uh, and now going, oh, right, I have to get up at a certain time again. I have to go to bed at a certain time again. And it's not that easy. So what's going on and how can you help me and more importantly, our listeners? Well, it's very, it's very interesting, Joe. And I think over the Christmas period, people naturally tend to go to bed later and get up later and have that break. And I think during COVID, the same thing happened with people working at home. And you rightly said that the key thing about sleep is getting a consistent sleep schedule and sleep routine. And it's very important to do that. What we tend to do in modern society is that uh, we're getting to sleep debt during the week and then try and bank sleep at weekends when a critical piece would be that try and get to sleep at a a set time each night and wake at the same time in the morning Um, and that can be challenging obviously with work schedules taking kids to school etc we know that most healthy adults need somewhere between about seven to nine hours sleep a night and we also know from the data that a lot of people are getting far less than that so they are sleep deprived and we know sleep is is so important it's uh, the most important single behavioral experience you have in your life you spend nearly 27 years of your life sleeping so sleep is very important for both mental and physical health. And it is important to have that good schedule and routine to your sleep patterns. And Giles, have you ever come across anyone, you know, even in chats or professionally, who has not had periods where they've struggled with their sleep? No, I, I think everybody does. And I think COVID is probably a classic example. I mean, just my own personal experience, I can remember at the start of COVID suddenly working at home, I found that from being a good sleeper, my sleep was very poor. And what I realized was that I wasn't maintaining a routine during the day. I might get up in the morning and not get dressed and start the normal work day and just start on emails and just work away through the day. And I think what you have to do, you have to break that chain and you have to have that routine. Um, and, you know, so people do struggle with that. And it's often said to me when I'm talking to people about sleep, they say, oh, yes, but Ronald Reagan and Maggie Thatcher are supposed to have survived on less than four hours. Well, very interestingly, both of them suffered from Alzheimer's in later life. And there is an association between sleep deprivation and mental health and things like Alzheimer's. So, you know, it it, it is important. So I think that really uh, that is a total exception. And I think it's an anomaly. Okay. Uh, I think uh, the expression I'm trying to sleep uh, is really the opposite, isn't it? Weirdly, of what you need to do. The harder you try often, the less sleep you get. Well, that's exactly it, you know, and I think it's getting into good practice. I, I use kind of a sleep toolkit with people around around sleep and good sleep practices. I mean, I think critical things to pay attention to are things like the bedroom should be a sanctuary. So you should be avoiding things like iPads, iPhones, TV screens, because what they do, they emit blue light. And how the, the, the brain works in terms of sleep during the daytime, you're alert because you're exposed to light bright light and at nighttime the dark is when you release this hormone melatonin which makes you sleep so if you're exposing yourself to this blue light your brain is thinking that it's daylight so you're not actually releasing melatonin which is having a negative effect so using the bedroom as a sanctuary for sleep is very important and then simple things like good sleep hygiene so that the room you sleep in should be relatively cool 
it should be dark and it should certainly be quiet as well. Now, obviously, that is a challenge if you have young babies or children. But just simple things to pay attention there will actually help. We also know, uh, just from my own, own work with exercise and physical activity, that we know that regular exercise actually promotes sleep. The only uh, word of caution I would have there is that you shouldn't really engage in any vigorous ac activity too close to bedtime because obviously it, it, it stimulates you right. as well. And I'm interested in that because a lot of people uh, will go to the gym or do their exercise in the evening because they're working and they just don't have the time at another point in the day. So how close are you talking about to sleep time? Yeah, and I, I think it's particularly the type of exercise. So if you're doing vigorous exercises, what's to be avoid, avoided? Certainly um, probably two hours before bedtime. However, I know that some people would, would perhaps go out for a, a late-night walk um, just to relax and unwind, and that's certainly perfectly fine. We, we know that, for example, engagement with the outdoors will actually lower uh, blood pressure and will lower heart rate. Even going outside for 15 minutes can do that. So I think it's what you do. So if you're doing very vigorous type of exercise, that's the way you need to be probably slightly cautious. But I think, you know, we certainly would, would promote physical activity and exercise. So I think anything of a vigorous nature, certainly you know, two to three hours before bedtime w w would be advised as the latest time for that. All right, we're chatting to Dr. Giles Warrington, an expert uh, in this area uh, from the University of Limerick. Now, there is that saying, you know, um, two hours sleep before midnight is worth four hours sleep after midnight. Is there any truth to that? Well, well funny enough, Joe, there, there actually is. Um, so w when you sleep, there's various phases to your sleep. So when you first fall asleep, you go into the, what we call light sleep, stage one, stage two. And how they measure it is they look at the brain waves, the brain signals. Then you go into uh, your, your deep sleep. And it's the deep sleep, which is very important. So deep sleep is very important for both physical recovery uh, and adaptation, but also from a mental point of view. And then following that, you go into this rapid eye movement sleep, which is very like light sleep. And that's when you dream. And the, the rapid eye movement sleep is important for, for mental function as well and memory function particularly. And what happens is each of these cycles is about 90 minutes long. And we know that from, from the data, you get a lot of your deep sleep in the early stages of, of, of the sleep uh, phases. So, for example, the, the periods in the early part of the night is where you get most of your deep sleep. So, yes, if you are getting more time before midnight, you're probably uh, gaining more of that beneficial deep sleep. And obviously less of that occurs as you go into the early hours. So there is evidence to show that, yes, that time before midnight is beneficial in terms of the, yeah. the deep sleep, which is particularly important. Of course, you know full well now that that is not the answer that a lot of people wanted to hear this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always laugh because when I talk to people, they think I'm a complete killjoy in terms of the things <laughs> oh, yeah. that I say you should and shouldn't be doing. Well, well I it's, suppose it's the, pub, sleep, the pubs and restaurants are closed at 8 o'clock in the moment, so you know, maybe... Well, could... that, that, that might help the sleep a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, the other thing is I'm not asking you to interpret any of my dreams because you'll be here a long time, but in the <laughs> context of sleep, what are dreams? To, to be honest with you, I, I, it's not really an area of expertise sure. of mine. There are people that focus on, on the areas of dreams and sleep, so I really, would, I, I really wouldn't comment in relation to that. But it, it's interesting going back to your, your earlier point about this, uh, the fact that people are now having to get back into an earlier routine of sleep. There is such a thing called sleep, uh, social jet lag. And this is associated with this irregular sleep patterns where you get the sensation of, of travel over time zones um, because, because your, your sleep pattern is, is thrown out when maybe you'd normally be going to bed at 10, 10, 30, 11, for example. You might be going late into the night because you're obviously you know, staying up later over the Christmas period. And, and you, you get this, this symptom similar to jet lag, that kind of grogginess after a long-haul flight, for example. Okay. Uh, the other thing is that I think you have a sleep kit, Giles. What's that? 
Yeah, it's a sleep toolkit. So some of the things I referred to you in there, it's just some simple practical tips and tools that you could use to promote sleep. So, for example, we know that uh, certain nutritional practices and habits will promote sleep. Um, so certain types of foods that you eat and timing of foods is being important as well. So we know that at nighttime foods, which are high in glycemic index, things like jasmine, rice, potato, corn, noodles, bread, for example, will help, help promote sleep. We know foods that are rich in tryptophan, um, uh, which is a, a, a precursor of uh, serotonin, which is the brain chemical, which actually promotes sleep. Things like milk, fish, chicken, turkey, eggs, pumpkin seeds, etc. They are actually very good for sleep. We're currently doing research, um, particularly in athlete populations, but in other populations as well, looking at kiwi fruit. And we found that kiwi fruit, two kiwi fruit before bedtime, actually has a beneficial effect um, on sleep, both in terms of quality and duration. And we've just published research in that area. Also, kiwi fruit is very high in vitamin C as well. So it has those benefits as well. So I think as well with the nutrition, it's avoiding those late um, evening meals um, would, would be something else that would, would be a consideration. So we know that there is associations between sleep and nutrition. I've mentioned the physical activity. Um, minimize, <clears throat> excuse me, minimizing caffeine intake in the evenings is important because caffeine is a stimulant. So um, it's going to make you stay awake. Certainly, I mean, I love my coffee and I tend to drink most of my coffee in, in the morning and early afternoon and avoid it later on. Um, what about alcohol system, then, Giles? Yeah, well, that's the one I was coming on to. So smoking and alcohol. See, smoking, obviously, we know the carcinogenic effects of smoking, but smoking is a stimulant. So it will stimulate and cause you to stay awake. Some people would say to me, oh, well, you know, I find a, a few glasses of wine will help, help me sleep. Well, it makes you fall asleep much quicker but the quality of sleep is much more fragmented. It's broken. You're waking quite a lot, and you're probably getting up in the night to go to the toilet more. So uh, alcohol doesn't, doesn't actually have a positive effect on, on sleep as well. well. One tool that I use a lot, and I, um, people find it effective, is just preparing for sleep, having a, a small notebook by the side of the bed. And what you do is you just literally log, bullet point, any kind of key issues and items from the day, you just reflect on them, and then you just make a note of anything that you may need to do the following day, just as action items. Because what it helps you do, it just helps you unload and offload and prepare for sleep rather than waking up in the night thinking, oh, God, I've got to do that tomorrow. If you've kind of done that review of the day and then written down those actions, that actually can be beneficial. Then just turn over the book and leave it there. You've done your job right. for the day and you can then prepare for sleep. We're chatting to Dr. Giles Warrington from the University of Limerick. Now, you have dealt with a lot of elite athletes. Generally, are they good sleepers? Well, interestingly, probably not. Um, again, the research would say that athletes would certainly need more sleep just for the high level of training and competition that they're doing, that their sleep can certainly uh, be, be disruptive. Uh, be disruptive. And it's interesting, if you look at teams, for example, team sports, where they may be playing in the evening, matches in the evening, it's, it's not so much the, the night before a game, which seems to be the challenge, it's the night of the game. So in other words, they played a game in the evening, um, they're, they're, they're aroused, they're, they're you know, high levels of energy, and then they're trying to unwind and go to sleep. So it's simple things like you know, doing a, a short debrief maybe, but perhaps before going to bed, go outside and have, have, a, have a short walk just to recuperate. Mm. So that's that's really do, interesting, isn't it, Giles? Because obviously when they are playing in season, let's say the Munster Rugby team now tomorrow night, then the next day is very important for recovery, isn't it? And then they have to get yeah. back into the pattern of... So a, actually a bad night's sleep after a match can have an effect over the season. For, for sure, for sure. And I think, I think the key thing is you start your recovery, and, and professional teams like Munster would do this anyway, you start your recovery uh, immediately after the game. 
And, you know, some of that is physical and some of that is mental. But it's very interesting if you look in the, the States, for example, a lot of the leading NBA teams, uh, the medical football teams, they all uh, employ sleep scientists now because they're constantly traveling between games. And so they need to make sure that, the, first of all, the players are uh, optimally prepared for the game, but also they're optimally recovering after the game because they may have another game in a very short period of time. So the whole area of sleep and sleep science is, is really grown in the last decade. Giles, do younger people generally sleep better than older people? Well, that's a really interesting question, Joe. I mean, if you look at the kind of the, the data and the recommendations, obviously young babies um, hopefully sleep for a very long period in the day. And that's due to their, their, their growth and development their, their, and their, their, their neural development as well. An interesting thing um, with teenagers, for example, um, teenagers seem to want to go to bed late and, and get up late and parents think they're being lazy. Well, actually, something very strange happens during maturation um, and puberty is their body clock shifts by about two hours. So uh, uh, an adolescent, and I notice I have two daughters who, 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 who are late adolescents now, and, you know, say, for example, 10 o'clock at night, their, their perception is it's 8 o'clock at night. And in the morning, it's, say, 7 o'clock, their perception it's 5 o'clock. So their body clock has actually shifted for about a period of six years. So, so it actually is a natural occurrence. And it's interesting, in the, in the United States, they've done some research with school start times. And what they did is they moved the school start times just to see what this had in, in terms of impact. And two things happened which were very interesting. They found that the actual academic achievement of the student, students dramatically improved and also early morning car fatalities dramatically reduced. Now, I, I accept that, you know, it, 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 it's maybe not that practical because parents may have to drop kids to school early and then go to work. But certainly if school is about academic achievement, there's strong evidence to support the case that school should actually mm. start later in the day. And one other question that a listener is asking us on WhatsApp 0861239595, which maybe gets to the heart of this entire chat, and, and that is, at what point does a lack of sleep move from being irritating but manageable to a real health problem? That's, again, a very good question. I think, you know, in the short term, you know, if you have a one or two bad nights sleep, that isn't an issue. That is not a concern. I think we all have that. and We all experience it. But when you're getting into more prolonged effects, this is where it's certainly, certainly having negative impacts, both in terms of your, your mental and physical health. And there may be underlying conditions for that. So, some, for example, people may be suffering from obstructive sleep apnea, which is, a, you know, affecting your breathing. And they may be, need to be referred to a, a, a clinical specialist who, who deals with sleep. So in the short term, I, I certainly wouldn't panic if it's one or two days. But if it's a, a prolonged effect, you really start, need to start to look at it. And things like a sleep toolkit, really going through some of these key areas and just paying attention, say, well, am I doing attention to this? Am I exercising regularly? Do I have a good normal sleep routine? Um, all these factors. And if, if at the end of that, um, you find that your sleep is still uh, negatively impacted, um, you maybe need to get uh, specialist advice in relation to that. But what, what I'd say to people is don't panic. If in, at night time, if you find you're not falling asleep, don't panic. The worst thing you do is lie in bed, tossing and turning, mm. saying, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. The best thing you could probably do after about 20 minutes is get up out of bed, either stay in the room if you're sleeping on your own or if with a partner you go into another room in a dimly light lit area, get involved in activities which would be sleep promoting. For example, reading a, a paper book, not a, not a Kindle, um, or just activities like that for 20 minutes or so, and then get back into bed 
and just to see if that helps. The worst thing to do is probably just to toss and turn and just keep saying to yourself, I can't sleep. Right. So anything that would help promote sleep would be encouraged. Right. And then, of course, there are all sorts of things we won't get into today, like you know, sleep apnea and other things that you know are, are, are specific factors. Uh, but finally, on average then, six to eight hours a night for most people is, is about right? So it's probably seven to nine, Joe, seven would to be nine. the recommended. Okay. Seven to nine. However, um, from some of the data, particularly from the States, and it would be similar to here, the average is somewhere around 6.8. So a lot of, on average, a lot of people are actually slightly sleep deprived. So it is highly individual, and there is evidence to suggest that if you sleep too much, that can't be a positive thing either. But the sweet spot seems to be for adults, healthy adults, somewhere between seven and nine hours sleep a night. Okay, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Well, listen, thank you very much for kicking that off in the new year and hopefully now as people are getting back into the routine, certainly from Monday in a significant way, this might help them. We do appreciate your time this morning. Dr. Giles Warrington, Head of the Department of Sport and Exercise Physiology at the University of Limerick and he has done research, of course, into sleep and its science. Your views, your news, your Limerick today with Joe Nash on Live 95.